0: And now, here's your host, Sheila White.
1: Welcome, friends, to another episode of Gifted. I am excited today. Uh, we have an awesome gentleman that we're going to be talking to. Uh, Gifted is a show where people talk about their unique gifts, how they impact the world in health, wealth, education, business, entertainment, arts, relationships, and spirituality. I am very happy that you all tuned in today to get some empowering information and to meet someone that can encourage you to live a better life. You know, before we get into today's conversation with my guests, I would like for you to share this content, this podcast with your family and friends for new content each week at www.road2eternity.net. Now, when we come back, we'll be talking to a gifted young man who inspires, uplifts and entertains audiences around the world.
0: Get back out there in style when you shop at It Is Amazing Boutique. We have all the deals and steals you need for your next night out. Find upscale clothing and accessories for women, men and children at affordable prices. For more information, visit our website at www.itisamazing.biz or call us at 815-582-4995. That's 815-582-4995.
1: Folks, my guest today is Mr. David Jurecki. He is born in Chicago in 1975. He is a self-published author, From 1993 through 2015, he's an author of 15 books ranging from poetry, satire, and novels in different genres. We're going to talk a little bit about some of these books and how he has been inspiring others around the world. He's also a spoken word artist from 2015 to 2019. And he's a recording artist. We're hoping that we can get a little poetry out of him on today. I know it's kind of early where some of you are around the world, but we're really excited to have Mr. David Jiraki Welcome to the show. I don't know if I'm pronouncing your last name right. Uh Jiraki. David Jiraki, welcome to the show. How are you?
2: Thank you. I'm good. i good. Thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate it.
1: You know, this international audience that we have, we are really excited to bring you to this forefront and to this platform, because I first want to start, go back a little bit um, into the early years when you were growing up as a little boy. Did you see yourself as an author? I mean, 15 books. That's pretty impressive. But did you love writing as a kid or reading or something?
2: I actually my first love was filmmaking. I really wanted to be a director when I was younger. And my mom, she, she noticed that I would go, go to garage sales and I would get the old film cameras and film reels and none of it worked. I used to play with it and think that maybe one, one day I could do something with it. But what my mother did was on my 16th birthday, she stretched the funds and she, from her finger hook catalog, got a video camera for me. And uh, at the time we lived in a building that had a, a Hispanic family that lived on the bottom level. They had um, six children, ranging from a newborn baby to a teenager that looked like he was in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And um, my, I had my two sisters, so we started making movies, and I would write scripts for them and do, the, do these little sketch comedy um, films. And then I moved into the Kankakee area to Mantino, my high school, my um, senior year of high school, and I was making movies with friends. We were goofing around, and then everybody started getting jobs and girlfriends, and all of a sudden I had no cast. <laughs> So the creativity was still burning in me. So then I, that's when I started writing books because I didn't need a cast or film or film or camera. So I started writing poetry books and then eventually stretched out to writing satires and novels. And I did that for quite some time.
1: Now, what was your first book that you decided to write? Because um, sometimes people want to get their their chops wet a little bit. So they start maybe with a children's book or something, you know, kind of easy, maybe poetry. But what was your first book that that uh, that you decided to write?
2: It was, a, it was a series of books. It was three books, and it, I had different titles over the years for them, and they were poetry books because that was my the first thing I started writing. And I, I assumed that I could uh, just write poetry and live in a cabin somewhere and live off of that, and I didn't realize that most poets are poor when I started writing, so I had all these big dreams <laughs> of publishing poetry books and making money off of that and making that for my living. And uh, over the years, I revised the books to different things, and I ended up calling it "The Legend of the Fetal Poltergeist," and uh, had it kind of follow a thread in the story and keep a theme going throughout the books of poetry that uh, were in that collection.
1: Now, when did you discover? Uh, now, were you a self-published author, or did you just go through the the regular, send it to Random House or some of these other bigger name companies?
2: I started out um, sending query letters to agents and sending inquiries to publishers and I hundreds of them over the years for different books and never got anywhere with it. And when I first started writing, they called it vanity publishing. And um, it was like thousands of dollars and I would get like hundreds of copies of my books. And that's all I would have was the copies of the books and spend all the money to get it. Published, But then as technology advanced and you were able to publish on your own, I started doing that, but I never could afford the vanity publishing when I was younger. So I did start out writing uh, query letters and, um, and tried to get an agent, but it never really amounted to anything. I did have an agent at one point and, um, she sent me a list of publishers and it didn't match my book at all. So then I sent, she sent a revised list and I kept going back and forth with her. And I finally asked her, did you read my book? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> She would send me uh, virtual Christmas cards on email and stuff like that for like three years and never really did anything with my book. And I actually sent money. And I I learned early on that with an agent, you don't send them money. They they get money off of when they sell your product or your, your book. So that was a mistake early on that I learned. But um, that was the closest I ever got to having an agent.
1: You know, it's really important because a lot of people think that you need a big staff to do something uh, when you have this dream or goal. And so they do spend a lot of money trying to get their book out there and and have a book, big book signing and go through all of those types of things. And then they find out that they just the content is what's really important. That's what people want to know. And so describe a little bit about the content of your first book, because that took you down a path to be able to create more materials.
2: The first book I self-published was a satire. It was about a rock and roll band, and it was written from the lead singer's point of view. And it was about the excess and really the debauchery of, of celebrity. I was making fun of celebrity because um, I remembered when I was trying to find a publisher, people were writing all these tell-all biographies, and those were all the bestsellers. Yeah. And gossip, and it was it was really garbage. And I'm, I'm sitting there with these poetry books like, read my poetry. And people were wanting to read about celebrities and all, all the um, – controversies in their lives and things of that nature. And I could go into bookstores and seeing this and it infuriated me. So, so I wrote a book about a rock and roll band that was fictional and kind of made fun of that as my first book. And, um, oh. it really didn't click. I wasn't, wasn't really good at writing satire. And then my niece had actually, I forgot how old she was. She was like 10 or 12 years old and she went on to barnesandnoble.com and wrote a review for it and gave it five stars. And she said, my mom won't let me read it. Maybe one day I can be old enough to read it because there was a lot of vulgar language in there and, mm-hmm. and to and capture that thing. And then when I, when I read that, I felt kind of sad. I'm like, I, I'm writing this and my niece is supporting it, but I, she can't read it because of how vulgar it is. And so then I, I, I swore off writing uh, uh, with vulgar language and uh, wrote a um, short story, a book of short stories that was completely clean and it was positive. It was called Strangels. And each story was about a positive person put into a difficult situation where they had to do the right thing, even though it might hurt them or someone else.
1: Wow. And that took
2: a, that took a whole different direction for my writing career.
1: Wow. Now that's really, that sounds like a television series or something you want to see or something like that. Yeah. Um, Now let's go into poetry a little bit because what got you into um, writing poetry? I mean, you were writing, you know, books and things like that, but um, your first poem that you wrote, do you remember the very, I mean, was that like, as a younger person, or as you got older, the very first poem, you thought, hey, this is something.
2: I, um, I don't know when I felt like it was something or when my first poem was. It was more of a release for myself at first. Mm. And then when I was really de- dealing with depression quite a bit in my late teens and early 20s, uh, suicidal thoughts and things of that nature. So really, it, it was a release for me to put that on paper and go go through my feelings but I wanted I didn't want it to stay there. I wanted it to be positive. So then I started writing uh, about how getting how getting out of that and looking at the brighter things in life, the older I got. Mm-hmm. And um, when I saw that theme together, I started putting them, putting the poems together as a, as a collection. It actually meant something. It told a story instead of mm-hmm. being just individual poems.
1: Wow. Wow. And we're going to have you do a poet poem a little bit later on. So I want you to think about that and what you want to say to the audience and things like that. Um, PG, of course. PG, of course. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm PG, yeah. <laughs> I, but I want to talk a little bit because uh, you just mentioned about you know suicide and and things like that. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with the name of your organization because it's very different. Um, the name of your organization it's like a number uh, and things. And so, what is the significance of the of the title of you know with the eight forty five p.m. or whatever? What's that significance to that story?
2: Um, that that's actually the time I was born. I, I was, uh, I don't remember what age I was, but I was going through, my mom had pictures and, uh, birthday cards of collect- collectors from when we were kids mm-hmm. and I came across my birth certificate and then I saw the time on there, 8.54 PM. And it was just weird. I never really thought about a time like that, that, that they actually put the time down there. So when I pu- started publishing my books, I would call it 8.54 PM publications and in my poems, I referenced that time a lot. And then I used the acronym PM to mean post-mortem. And uh, when I um, started doing spoken word, I, w- I would go by my name, David Thomas Strecki, because I wanted to use spoken word as a way to promote my books. And that's the name I've used on my books. Mm-hmm. But then there was one event or competition, and then the host messaged everybody that was part of it, and he asked for stage names. And I thought we had to have a stage name, and I'm like, what could I use for a stage name? And I was looking at one of my books, and I had the 8:54 p.m. there, so I threw that in the group chat, and everybody had a good reaction to it. So I'm like, okay, that's that sounds like a good name, and that's how it became my stage name. And um, at first, I thought this is great promotion because everybody it's, it's different, everybody's gonna remember it. Yeah. But then I would I would go to different events, and people would always get it wrong. They'd be like, "Hey, 8:45, 8:52, nine o'clock. How are you doing?" <laughs> and the, time, the times were all over the place. And then even on YouTube, when I started my channel. And I, I thought the search would be easy, but then when you put in 8.54 p.m., you get a, a list of videos that were posted at that time, so oh. that kind of back, backfired, too. So, it's an original name, but I, I enjoy using it. It's something I'm going to continue using for my spoken word and recording career.
1: Now, let's talk a little bit, because you mentioned um, this briefly about suicide, and um, a lot of people, um, teenagers especially, you know, that it's on the rise, especially after the pandemic. Um, let's talk a little bit about Uh, your experience with that, because I think it's something that can help a lot of people um, to be able to understand, especially with all the mental health things that are going on now since the pandemic and things like that. But let's talk a little bit about your backstory of uh, when that began and what was going on in your life at that time when you thought, it's too much, I can't bear it.
2: I was uh, in my early 20s, or actually late teens. It was before I got my main job. I worked at a um, linen exchange where we would clean soiled linen linens from uh hotels and hospitals and some of the things you saw were just horribly disgusting it was a third shift job mm. i just didn't know what i was doing in my life i really wanted to be an artist of some sort but i didn't know how to get through to that um i just had trouble finding out who i was and i felt really suicidal throughout my late teens and early 20s. Mm-hmm. One time I, I made a halfway attempt at suicide and at, at that job, everybody had mini-thins, which are diet pills, but they also help keep you awake. And we were on third shift, so people were passing the mini-thins around all over the place. And actually one night I did take about half a bottle of mini-thins and I don't know what I really expected. I was kind of afraid to attempt suicide, so it was a kind of half-hearted attempt. But I woke up like 12 hours later and I was soaked, my bed was soaked, and, and that was the closest I personally ever came. I did have a cousin who um, was suicidal, and she was in a, um, a, a facility, a mental health facility. And while she was in the facility, she was able to take her own life. And, and I always thought, she's in a facility that's specifically there to treat that, but she was so depressed and so determined that she still found a way to take her own life. And that just sh- showed you how powerful that that negativity and emotion and depression can be to a person Mm -hmm. and when I was when I started doing spoken word I didn't write new poems because I actually hit when I started writing books and novels I kind of got away from poetry Mm -hmm. but when I started doing spoken word I would go back to my old poems and I would I would take like because my poems were really short so I would take three or four poems that were the same subject and kind of stitch them together to make a longer piece Mm -hmm. and I took some of those old poems that were about suicide and, and made a, a long piece about suicide, but then I thought about it, and I'm like, I really don't feel this way anymore, at least not all the time, and I've, I've luckily been able to battle that to where I'm still here. And I wanted to end it on positive, so I wrote a whole new back end to it to, to go through the emotions and feelings of depression and suicide, but then bring it out in an upswing where we have positive things to look forward into this life, and that became a, an important thing for me on my recording project is I talk a lot about anxiety, depression, and, and coming out of that throughout the whole project. That's one of the underlying themes.
1: Mm, that's interesting. You know, when, when you say coming out of it, uh, what was your catalyst to be able to come out? Some people turn, have therapists, some people turn, you know, spiritual. What was your antidote that you would say that you would give credit to, to help you kind of pull, you know, hold your head up and look for, you know, say a brighter day, so to speak.
2: The creativity, um, finding Mm -hmm. a place to put my voice and then understanding because initially I'm like, this is great and everybody's going to love it. Mm -hmm. And then you have that rejection of people reading it and not enjoying it or not taking it the way you expected them Mm -hmm. or you actually have um, it completely getting ignored and uh, no reaction to it whatsoever. And so early on, I, I had to learn that. They always say have to, you need to have alligator skin when you're a, an artist or a writer because you're not always going to get the reaction you want. So I yes, developed that alligator yes, skin. Yes. I, re- I realized that this is a release and it's for me. So looking at things that way. And then as I've gotten older, just staying in the moment, um, realizing that you can only control the moment and not living in the past or the, or the future. You know, The future is where you have your anxiety and the past is where you have your depression. So if you just stay in the moment and focus on what you control, you'll be much happier uh, by just focusing on what you can control, and rather than letting situations control you, which is a lot easier said than done, it's not something I've fully escaped. I still have my bouts of depression; they don't get as bad as they used to be. But um, through through my understanding and, and spirituality and God, and and finding finding my finding where my creativity goes, and not having the high expectations for it, it has been very helpful.
1: Now, David, who motivates you to keep going? Um, because it takes a certain amount of inspiration to just sit down and start writing, whether it's poetry or books and and to come up with these ideas. Um, so who who motivates you to just say, hey, I got this idea. I'm going to keep going on a little farther.
2: Uh, right now I've been kind of isolated. I've, I've hit uh, like a um, a uh, hermit part of my life again where, <laughs> I, where I don't go out like I used to. And um, when I first got on, when I, the, the first way I got into spoken word was I had done some uh, book fairs at our Kinkakee library. Mm-hmm. and um they had opened up a cultural center called feed that was an extension of the library and there was open mics there so since i had been an author there they reached out to me and and basically said uh hey why don't you come to an open mic and i'm like open mic i'm no i just write the books you guys read them not me <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so i went to the first one in early 2015 and i saw how opening or how welcoming the host was and all the people, regardless of what age or what experience you had, you could go up there with whatever, just say what's on your mind, get something off your chest, read a poem, read a poem by somebody else, read an excerpt from a book, whatever. So I didn't really even go behind the mic that first time, but I saw how welcoming everybody was. So then I started practicing a poem to do the next month and I started going every month and then um there were two individuals there kent wade and uh keep it smooth um i'm wearing keep It smooth logo actually here
1: yeah and, i gotta uh, get in contact with keep it smooth i gotta get his number from you later okay yeah yeah, yeah he's he, a great he, guy he he's a great guy
2: yes he is and um and actually I, I didn't get to talk to him because he was there on break mm. uh from the library so i always got to see him perform and then he would leave and i didn't get really get to talk to him but we became friends on social media and started talking and then um he had me participate in, in uh, showcases that he was uh, having at the library. Mm-hmm. And then eventually um, Kent Wade and Smooth got in touch with a group called Sous Souls in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they created a, a Kankakee uh, extension called Sous Minds. And all of that was overwhelming. And it seemed like it happened so fast that that's, that really motivated me to see other people have faith in my poetry and that the, the fact that they had faith in it made me f- fight to write more and to do better and and uh inspired by the, the way they did poetry and um and then I also saw how that was for everybody on the open mic scene so that even though I was someone an introvert and someone that really stayed behind the scenes it was that welcoming it was that powerful of of a resource and a, a um and a, and a way to express yourself that I was just I drawn to it and, and I love doing it
1: Wow. And you know, there's, that's so interesting because a lot of people are afraid or they're like, okay, like you said, I don't want to come to the mic, but then just finding your place, finding your niche, finding what brings you joy, I think is what it's all about. And then you find out, Hey, this is something, not only can I do this, but I can do this and it takes you to different places and things like that. Now, how did the recording part come into that where you just said, okay, I'm writing books. Now I'm speaking it, but then you decided to become a recording artist. So tell us a little bit about that journey.
2: Well, I, one, one of the, one, actually, the last, I lasted about three years on the spoken word scene, and I really don't even know if I can go back. It's just weird the way, what happened to me. I, I often joke around that I'm such an introvert that I have this social battery for my life. <laughs> and I, I, I burnt through it in those three years and how it's gone. <laughs> um, I, I would hope that I get back into it at some point, but um, one of the members of our group, Solace Minds Unorthodox, um, he is, was a, an amazing producer and an artist in his own right. And he always had these beat CDs and music that he would, that he would share with us. And um, early on, there was a piece I was writing that I wanted to put it to music. And he had a, he had an instrumental that he shared with me that was perfect for it. So I shaped the lyrics around it, and then I uh, found another beat on his CD, and then and then all of a sudden he was sending me CDs. Oh, I was thinking of you with this beat, and all of a sudden he just flooded me with with all these different instrumentals. And I was working with him, and um, the first album I recorded that I had not released it was all is all is all produced by him. Uh, mm-hmm. the, uh, the 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 fact that when I was going out and performing, I noticed how I got better over time. I would see I would see an old video of a piece and it was like, oh, it was horrible. Six months later, it got so much better.
1: Wow. And wow. and, and,
2: And and then when I got to the recording part, it was preserved that way. So it ended up being a real blessing and a curse because. Now I have it recorded and it's, it may not be perfect, but it, for me, it's perfect. It's always going to sound that way once it's recorded that way. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about going up there on stage and performing it a certain way every time, which really drug on my anxiety and mm-hmm. ended up being a lot of pressure for me over time because mm-hmm. I would have these pieces I did for like a year, year and a half, and they were really wow. good. Then I would do a new piece and it would be garbage because I knew it had, I knew it hadn't developed like the other pieces had. So for me, the recording was a way to preserve, preserve it a certain way and not have the pressure of, performing. It. And that's another thing that probably dragged me away from performing live regularly was the fact that I, knew I could record it and have it here yeah. and not have to have that pressure of making it really, really difficult.
1: Like you said, or that really... social battery thing kind of kicked in, huh? <laughs>
2: that yeah. yeah. You know, the... David,
1: how do you keep your creativity flowing? Because you're in different mediums, you're doing different things, you're recording artists, you're a spoken word poet, you know, you're an author. How do you keep the creativity flowing in all these different genres?
2: I don't know. I always thought I would stay in one one place, but um, the, the the different things come along. I actually tried to be a visual artist, like during COVID. But I mean, mm-hmm. I was already kind of off of the spoken word scene, but when COVID came and obviously it shut down that scene completely, mm-hmm. and there was and I didn't have that release, so I started doing some visual art, and uh, it it really, I enjoyed doing it. But then once it was done, it was I had this big bulky art piece with nothing to do, and uh, and I've got them in my basement now, and I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> but, but it was I've, I've always had to, I've like I've I've tried at times to just take a break from creating, okay. and say okay I'm just gonna watch movies I'm gonna you know do do other things go for walks hikes, mm-hmm. and um, but it, it's not something I can dismiss or get rid of. It's it's always gonna come out in one way or another. Um, but when, I know when people talk about writer's block, I always uh, I'm always of the opinion that you don't if you're a creative person you're always being creative whether you know it or not or yeah. you've always got your, that bug in you yeah so i always say when, you, when you're when you have what they say is writer's block i think it's just maybe you can't focus on writing right now maybe you need to be doing some arts and crafts of some sort maybe yeah. you need to be doing this or learning a new learn how to play the guitar it's just it's, it's got to be released somewhere so i think yeah. suppressing it is the worst thing you can do
1: you know, that's really important because I was going to ask you, how do you use your creativity as a release? And like you said, creative people, if they're not painting, they're doing this or, they're, you know, you have to find a way to get that energy out there and get it flowing. So you don't just become unstuck. Like you said, a writer's block. If you're not writing, what else can you do? And as a creative person, I mean, you're you're like sprouting in all these different areas and things like that, which is really, really interesting because, um, you know, when we talked about earlier about, you know, suicide and that particular topic, um, I know that these different creative aspects has fueled into different parts of your life, you know, and has, it, it's just kind of taking on a different, um, a different light, so to speak, you know, by doing all these different type of creative um, arts. What would you say to a person that may be a young person, David, that is going through, um, you know, suicide or that has going through a difficult time? You know, it could be a relationship or it could be, you know, work related or something. Things are troubling them. You've been there and you've come through that. How would you encourage them or what would you say to a younger person to help them to make it through that difficult time?
2: Be yourself Mm -hmm. and be proud of yourself Mm. regardless. Uh, I think the biggest problem is that you you get to worrying so much about, especially I couldn't imagine growing up now in the social media days. When I was young, I did a lot of things to reach out and get attention. A lot of negative things, and um, and uh, now I couldn't imagine being scrutinized like a celebrity, basically, because of something you posted or something someone someone else posted about you. So, you know, I'd say be yourself and be proud of it. You know, and and always try to grow. Always take advice from people. Um, you're not a finished product. Never a finished product until until the day until the day you pass on. Uh, it was when, um, one of the things Ken Wade is a, was the head of a uh, solace minds and he had a phenomenal motivational speaker. And he had actually gotten us a, 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 to do a series at the Kankakee um, high school where we went in a few weeks in a row and we, we spoke about poetry and we went to, it was like, it was like being in high school again. We went from one class to one class to one class and had to follow <laughs> the schedule and everything. And, uh, Kent, we, we just split up into teams of two into okay. each classes and, uh, during third period, Kent and I spoke and then we were finished with the class. And then the teacher asked us to stick around and come back or not stick around, but we were supposed to come back for the seventh period. And she asked us to come back because during our, both of our, our, our presentations, we both touched on suicide mm. and she had, and she had told us that, There was someone in her seventh period who had attempted suicide and was just in a mental health facility and they just get out and we're getting reacclimated to being back in school. So Mm -hmm. she asked us to come back for that period. I was excited and frightened about that because I'm like, well, that's a fragile situation. And I, I thought about asking her which, which student it was, but I was like, no, she probably wouldn't tell me. And it's probably not good to know. And then while we, while we were speaking and looking around the classroom, I was trying to guess which person it was Mm -hmm. and I, I couldn't, there was probably about five or six uh, students that it could have been mm. and that's just the testament to how fragile our, our minds are at that age because that's when we're just becoming ourselves just learning right. ourselves
0: right
2: and and being over scrutinized mm-hmm. so just the fact that I could pick out six people in that class that might have been that student it just shows you what they're going through at that age and, and how they need guidance and they need confidence and that's one of the things that the open mics uh, brought brought to, brought to the community when
1: Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, like you said, the teens are going through so much with the social media. It's sometimes not helping because they're looking at their life through these lenses of that person has a better life than I do. They're traveling more. They have all these friends. They're very popular. And they're looking at their life and thinking they're nobody or they're depressed or down or they don't have what maybe someone else has. And so the social media does have a responsibility and I think a lot of the teens viewing themselves as less than, um, and yeah. and think and and not being as happy as they should be or could be. They may be from a broken home, and they're looking at families that have you know a a, a wholesome home and have a mom and a dad or making so much money. So social media does have an influence. Um, I know on you know young people and and their thought patterns and things like that is really important, especially since you said. There could have been five or six people that could fit this category. You know, you just never really know uh, what's going on Mm -hmm. with that. You know, I want you to give us a little bit of your spoken word uh, poetry, because I'm just like, wow, so much that you have, you know, I know we don't have the music here or guitar you could do a little recording, but just give us a little snippet, a little taste of your, um, of your spoken word poetry.
2: Okay. 8.54 PM. I'm clocking in for my purpose welcome to the circus, we don't allow lighters, use your heart. Your mind and this art to start fires, labeled squires by liars that lack faith in even their own desires. We're solid suppliers that jump off with the stamina of a flow that never tires. Traveling town to town without any clowns, we treat this like a door to door business. Spitting out blessings like free souvenirs for everyone on the gift list. Every day, a very Merry Christmas. But we aren't playing any reindeer games. The only game we know is Team Takeover Tuesday tic tac toe, except there's no no tacks, no toes, no X's, no O's, only hashtags to support those that breathe spiritual and lyrical flows through the nose. And that's how it goes.
1: Man, I'm telling you, I am telling you, the studio's like, whoo, you know, they're (laughs) excited about it. You know, folks, we're talking to David, um, who is a spoken word artist. He is also a recording artist. He's an author of different books. David, how can our audience get in contact with you um, to get a copy of your books, to be able to book you for certain events that they may be having um, in their different community uh, and things like that? So give us your contact information.
2: Uh, My website is 854pm.com. There's no dots, no dashes. It's just 854pm.com. And uh, on there are links to my spoken word videos, a a link to my uh, first EP that I released for my music project. It's going to be a three-album project. Uh, The EP is only available on YouTube because I don't own own the instrumentals on that one. And then there's also information on how to order my books on the website. And then uh, I'm also on Facebook as 854pm on a fan page there.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, folks, you've got to tune in. David's information will also be on our website. Um, you can find out information about him there as well. And uh, like I said, he's a recording artist, a spoken word um, artist and author of over 15 books, poetry, satire, novels. I mean, he's very busy and <laughs> very busy writing and he uses his gifts in different ways. And that's what I love about it, because um, you, when you're a creative person, you have to find a way to get your creativity out there, and like he was saying earlier. And I'm I'm really really excited, uh, David, on the things that you're doing, the people that you've come in contact with, and what would you say? What's next? What's coming up? Do you have something on the schedule that people can support out there uh, besides your your Facebook and all of your social media sites?
2: Uh, um, the EP is out there to listen to. And that's, uh, I, I consider it, I consider that I started out as a novelist. So my okay. music project, is, my music project is wrapping up. I have one more song to record for it. And the, the EP, I kind of consider a, 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 a prologue and then okay. I have a full, a full LP that I consider a novel. And then I'm right now working on what I call the epilogue and the epilogue is one, one track away from being done. And then the whole recording project will be done and then I'll be writing a book to go along with it. So when, when all that's done, I don't know, I'll be done recording this year, but, the full okay. project will be released next year or the year after.
1: Wow. Wow. It's a lot to look forward to. It's a lot to look forward to. You guys, if you did not hear this entire broadcast, I want you to visit our website at www.road2eternity.net to get information about David. Also to find out more about the projects that he has coming up. Um, it's really exciting. I'm really excited to to uh, talk with you today, David. I want to thank you so much for being our special guest. And the platform that you have is large because you're doing so much. Um, A lot of people can do just one thing well. And you're very gifted. You're doing a number of different things and, uh, and getting it done. I mean, in getting it done. So I want you to continue to rise like dough, okay? And not stop until you get enough of it because uh, you're definitely an inspiring individual. And I was really looking forward to um, having this conversation with you to hear a little bit more, especially about your story. Um, You know, give us a little bit more. You said the name of the 8.54 PM. Let's get that uh, contact information again for our audience because I want them to get in contact with you to be able to see the exciting things that you have coming up
2: um 854pm.com is the website with uh, links to all my uh, information and projects and then I'm also on facebook is 854pm i have a fan page there it's 854pm
1: thank you so much david thank you folks for listening like i said if you did not hear this entire podcast i want you to visit our website at www.roadthenumber2eternity.net for more information Thank you so much for listening. Remember, folks, you are uniquely designed and strategically gifted. Use your gifts to impact the world.
0: Thank you for listening to Gifted with Sheila White. We hope you understand how your gifts can make an impact on the world. Gifted with Sheila White is produced by Road to Eternity, a film and television production company.